For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the waves. This, this is, is the waves. waves. This is the waves. This is the waves. This is the waves. This is the waves. Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and today, money. Big money. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing that we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Alicia Montgomery, executive producer of Slate Podcast. And me, Emily Peck. I'm a longtime business journalist and co-host of Slate's fabulous money podcast. (laughs) Yes. And today we're talking about if there's a uniquely feminist way to divorce your terrible, philandering, (laughs) rich husband and spend the billions of dollars he earned during your marriage. And this is in the news because two American women are facing this terrible, terrible problem that I wish I had. And that's (laughs) Mackenzie Scott. She's the ex-wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and Melinda French Gates, who is the soon-to-be ex-wife of Microsoft founder Bill Gates. And one of the reasons why I find this intriguing is that as feminists, it's sometimes hard for us to talk about the fact that a lot of women still get their money and power through their relationships with men, their husbands, most often, sometimes their fathers. But You know, if a woman gets credit for helping her husband build a tremendous fortune or a great company, does she also have to take some responsibility for the people who he's hurt on his way to the top? Emily, what do you think? I'm so glad that we're talking about this. We've talked about it on Slate Money a few times, but we haven't really dug into the feminism piece about it. I definitely think we have to dig into this this essential question of responsibility, Alicia, that you pointed out. I mean, there's just something so fascinating about being the wife of a billionaire. It's just every article that comes out, I want to read it. And I really, at the same time, I feel kind of this weirdness about how interested I am in these women's lives. It's like so gossipy. Uh, But I mean, lately, you just cannot avoid um, Gates or... um, or Scott, they've been all over the news. When Melinda Gates announced in May that that she was split splitting with Bill Gates after 27 years, there was all that reporting that it was essentially his sexism that led to the split. Essentially, Melinda Gates was upset because Bill Gates had had this relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, the notorious Jeffrey Epstein, who's now passed away, um, and also for issues of sexual harassment at Microsoft regarding a money manager that the Gateses worked with. So I feel like this all sort of everything came together, came to a head and kind of everything was tracking with what I've been wrestling with for so long, which was while she said she was splitting with Gates over his sexism. She's also for years and years been this really outspoken proponent for feminism, um, really a leading voice in the cause. So I've been just wondering, you know, how does she square 
her activism in the space with her relationship with Bill Gates. Yeah, this is kind of the the feminist marriage nightmare where the guy who you've built this sort of partnership with and in Melinda Gates's case a lot of her sort of public persona is built around this idea that she and Bill Gates have this tremendous very sort of gender equitable um, kind of partnership at home, you know, she's built her brand on and around this marriage being such a success. And then in addition to the nightmare of finding out that your husband has been palling around with Jeffrey Epstein through the New York Times, then you have your whole sort of professional persona that you've built up sort of now in danger because of your husband's questionable actions and and bad behavior towards women in the professional environment where you met, which makes it I, I imagine that it makes it even worse. She really made Bill Gates part of the story about feminism that she told. She had these like two anecdotes that she liked to bring out to sort of illustrate her story with him. One was that Bill Gates would pick up the kids from school and everyone was just so wowed by this. Like, oh my God, Bill Gates, billionaire, Microsoft, entrepreneur, CEO. He picks the kids up from school. Wow. How, you know, how forward, how how progressive. Yeah. Yeah, How evolved. And I finally said to Bill, oh my gosh, I can see my life ahead driving across this freeway. And um, why don't we just put her in the neighborhood school for a few years and then we'll switch her at a certain age over to this other school? And he said, no, he felt strongly that she start at preschool. And I just I I just can't do it. You know, like uh, the years ahead of driving. And he asked that question, what can I do? And before I even could answer, he actually offered a solution, which shocked me. I didn't even think he was serious at first, (laughs) to be frank. Um, He was the CEO of Microsoft at the time, and he said, well, I'll drive two days a week. I will drive her to school, which meant driving across this bridge, coming back past our house to Microsoft. So it was a good, solid hour, as admin had to put on his calendar for this driving. And he, he said, look, it'll be great time in the car. Well, lo and behold, Bill started doing this, and then uh, two weeks in school year, some of these other women in the classroom sort of sidled up to me and said, hey, have you noticed any changes in the classroom? And I said, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of dads driving. (laughs) And she said, yeah, well, we went home and said to our husbands, by gosh, (laughs) if Bill Gates can drive his daughter, so can you. Right. (laughs) And it was one of those funny things. Right. And the other story involves... Her like doing the dishes night after night for most of her when her kids were really young at family dinners. And then finally, years and years later, standing up, you know, after dinner as everyone's leaving the kitchen and being like, hey, guys, no, none of us leaves until this is all cleaned up as as being like, see, we need equity at home. And aren't we I'm doing it at home with Bill Gates. So I just wanted to sort of underline, Alicia, your point of how she sort of embedded Bill Gates into her specific kind of brand of feminism and kind of rehabilitated his image, you know, for her project. It was very intertwined. Well, it's like that was part of the the life that they built together because she gave up a career as a computer programmer, I believe. Marketing manager. She didn't quit work until um, until they had their first child. But what you're talking about, sort of rehabilitating his image as kind of an office jerk, you know, a sharp elbowed bully 
in tech who went around squashing competitors and had that same kind of attitude in the office. She comes along. And like you said, I listened to so many interviews with her and she talks about that thing about carpool, the dishes, him giving her more time and space to talk when they're out together um, for the foundation. It, as you said, it it is sort of at the the heart of who she's made herself in the public sphere. But can you tell us a little bit more about sort of Mackenzie Scott's path to philanthropy? Yeah, of course. So Mackenzie Scott, she wasn't really on my radar very much, honestly, until the divorce. Because since that time, she has become this philanthropic powerhouse. And it's just been really amazing to watch this happen. So she gets divorced um, from Jeff Bezos and walks away with a lot of stock, like billions and billions of dollars. I didn't write down the number because it honestly goes up every day with Amazon's meteoric rise. She walks away with all this money. She announces, I'm going to give all this money away. Not some of the money. She doesn't say I'm setting up a foundation, which is like very, very classic billionaire kind of stuff. She says, I'm going to give it all away. That's my goal. I'm going to do it while I'm alive. This isn't like the giving pledge, which some other billionaires have joined the Gates do, where they give it all away after they die. And she keeps dropping these like amazing, like announcement bombs, <laughs> charity yeah, announcement bombs. Posts. Yes, medium posts. She announced another uh, $2.74 billion in donations. I think she's given away so far around $12 billion. And I guess in contrast to Melinda, Mackenzie Bezos, while she's doing this and she is, you know, posting about it to Medium, she's really not been, she doesn't do a lot of interviews. In fact, I think the only one we could find, Alicia, was that 2013 Vogue interview. She's very private She's always like defended Jeff Bezos. There is this famous, this book that came out several years ago about Amazon that Jeff Bezos really didn't like. And Mackenzie, now Scott, went on to Amazon and gave it, you know, a zero star review and just like <laughs> ripped it apart, you know, just like being the dutiful yeah. wife. But she didn't really make a brand out of herself the way Melinda Gates did. And so in that way, I, uh, I wonder if she has as much to answer for, even though I guess if you're doing like, who's the most evil billionaire kind of competition, like I feel like Jeff Bezos, everyone will kind of say is in the lead at the moment. I don't know. That's appropriate <laughs> to close. say. Um, but I feel like because she kind of, she didn't kind of interweave her brand the same way. She didn't really rehab Jeff Bezos. I mean, yes, she did that defense of him in an Amazon review, but that's hardly the same thing and not the same project as Melinda had. I think both of them had work to do in helping their husbands become sort of less villainous in the public sphere, whether that's adjusting an Amazon review or telling everybody that your husband does the dishes with you. And I want to get more into that and the debate about how these two women billionaire philanthropists should share their money and whether, frankly, it's any of our business <laughs> after the break. Emily, before the break, you were talking about the difference between the public partnership between Scott and her ex-husband, Jeff Bezos, and the relationship between Melinda Gates and her soon-to-be ex-husband, Bill. 
What do we know about the way you can sort of see that difference in Melinda's style as a philanthropist versus Mackenzie Scott's? So this can't be overstated. Mackenzie Scott's style of philanthropy is just a completely radical departure from the traditional billionaire playbook. Typically, rich people want to have a say in how they donate their money and how it's used. You know, the Gates Foundation uses their own money and other donor money, and there's a whole apparatus sort of devoted to how to spend the money. And the embedded rationale underlying all this is that, like, Bill Gates is a really smart guy, and he did Microsoft stuff and software stuff, but like he can do anything because he's just so smart, right? He can solve all the world's problems. <laughs> and and it's not just Bill Gates. There's this like rich person, I would say delusion into thinking money makes you an expert at everything. Like Elon Musk thinks he can, you know, rescue children from mines. Mark Zuckerberg thinks he can fix the education system in Newark. Maybe, I don't know. But what's different about <laughs> Mackenzie Scott is that she doesn't pretend she really knows better. So she's been just like giving money to organizations, um, historically black colleges and universities, community colleges, nonprofits that work on racial justice, this great organization that gets rid of people's medical debt, no strings attached, no needs for reports or updates. Nonprofits don't have to reapply for money. I mean, the people who work in nonprofits just love this so they can like get on with it and do their work. So, yeah, you know, Mackenzie wants to spend it all. She wants to not have much control over how it gets spent. And I don't think Melinda French Gates has the same mission. You know, the difference in the style of giving away the money where Mackenzie Scott just seems to be sort of like dropping a big bag of money off at these (laughs) charities (laughs) and letting them do whatever they want with it. Um, And having sort of more of an establishment view that is represented by Melinda French Gates and the Gates Foundation. That's something, you know, there's sort of a parallel in their media personas. And it's really interesting when you look at Melinda Gates, and she is everywhere in the media. And I was noticing just in researching this conversation, you know, in the weeks before the split was announced at the beginning of May. She was on CNBC. She was on ABC News. She was talking to Forbes. She was interviewed so many places. And I think we have some sound from those interviews. Is it a sea change? I mean, we are delivering vaccine as a nation. You know, most states, 15% of the population has been covered. First of all, I think we have this myth in the United States that a lot of women have uh, paid family medical leave. No. In fact, it's less than 30% of women have paid family medical leave. And we know now that when women participate in the labor force, economies are stronger, more robust, and grow more quickly. And so for all those and many more reasons, we should invest in women and girls. (laughs) Now, Emily, that last clip of Melinda Gates was from the middle of April 2021, and that's just two weeks before the big announcement that her marriage is over. And so now she's got to sort of reframe how she interacts with the public around her philanthropy. I was looking for all of the clips of Mackenzie Scott talking to the Today Show or to CBS News and 60 Minutes, and there just weren't any. And it just makes me wonder. It's like, 
as a woman in leadership, what does it say about the difference between Mackenzie Scott and Melinda Gates' sort of philosophy of leadership that you can't find tape of Mackenzie Scott talking about philanthropy or much else? And Melinda Gates is everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think Mackenzie Scott, she does not want to be a leader. She's already remarried to a teacher, I think, and living in Seattle. I mean, the message I'm getting from her, because she doesn't tell us, except in how she spends her money quickly, get rid of it, doesn't want it. The message I'm getting is like, I want nothing to do with this anymore. Like, leave me alone. (laughs) I want my private life back. I don't I don't want to be a leader or public persona. It seems like she's never wanted that. And with Melinda French Gates, she does want that. She has her own her own nonprofit, Pivotal Ventures. She's outspoken. She wants to continue the brand she built with her husband, Bill Gates. With that brand, that relationship being sort of central to the foundation story, and especially when they made the pivot um, about 10 years ago to centering women's health and women's issues as part of their work. Um, But, I mean, one of the tricky things about discussing their philanthropy as part of a feminist conversation is that there's this idea that they're supposed to go out and, you know, give the money in a way that kind of addresses some of the structural inequities that led their husbands to these great riches. And in the meantime, their husbands are off doing God knows what. It's like (laughs) Bill Gates, I don't know, um, there hasn't been a lot of reporting about how he's spending his money. But in the meantime, Jeff Bezos is like trying to build a rocket ship. And is part of the problem with a conversation about these women leaders, this expectation that because they're women, they're going to be off doing something really, really noble about this money and that they have an obligation to? Is it really fair as feminists for us to to ask that of them? This is a hard one. I feel like there is an expectation because there are women, they have to do philanthropy and they have to do good work. I'm of the opinion that billionaire philanthropy is... M- mostly uses an excuse to greenwash, pinkwash, whitewash, billionaire reputations. Definitely for French Gates, she deliberately, strategically over the years tied her reputation to his. And I don't know if she can actually make up for the damage. And I mean, regarding the damage, and maybe I'm an optimist, but I don't know how much damage Microsoft actually did. I mean, I guess I'm still kind of a little rosy on on how revolutionary Windows was back in the 90s. Um, But you can Mm -hmm. send me hate mail about that, I guess. Um, But (laughs) Melinda French Gates can't, you know, whitewash or pinkwash her ex-husband anymore. And that's for the good. And more broadly, you know, we live in this world of super rich people wielding kind of outsized and unearned influence. And it's our responsibility to keep an eye on how they do that. And that's true for Mackenzie Scott, too. You know, when billionaires spend money, we get to ask questions, whether they're men or women. Yes, I guess the big the big sort of conundrum is, are we asking different questions? We're going to take a quick break here. But if you like what you're hearing and want to hear more from me and Slate Money's Emily Peck, check out our Slate Plus segment, Gateway Feminism. And today, we're each going to talk about one of the things that helped make us feminists. For Emily Peck, 
It was the profound experience of motherhood. And for me, it was a 1980s rom-com. So Emily, before the break, we were talking about some of the sort of key differences between Mackenzie Scott, who is the ex-wife of billionaire Jeff Bezos, and Melinda French Gates, who is splitting from her husband, Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft. Um, but I'm wondering, what can you say besides the obvious are some of their big similarities? Um, right. Besides the obvious, billionaire ladies. Um, <laughs> All the money. <laughs> All the money. So, I mean... The, the very timeless lesson I'm taking away from this, and, and it's very, I feel like it's particular to my generation in a way, Gen X, right? So like we were told, go do everything. You got this. You go to college. You get your graduate degree. And no one ever mentions like what happens when you want to start a family, like very classic. And so for both Melinda and Mackenzie, they started out as these very ambitious plans for themselves. Mackenzie Scott, you know, she went to Princeton. She wanted to be a novelist. She did her thesis with Toni Morrison. I mean, no joke. Toni Morrison, Nobel Prize winning author. And Melinda went to, I think she went to do business school. She showed up at Microsoft. She was a marketing manager. She was successful. But, you know, they tied their fortunes to these men and put their careers really to the side and, you know, had the babies and Mackenzie Scott. I mean, she met Jeff Bezos at 23, you know, and it changed just everything in her life. And she says, in, I think in that profile I mentioned earlier, she she wanted to write a novel, but she couldn't because, you know, she had to raise the kids and even billionaires can't can't manage, can't pull it off. Billionaire women. You can't so You can't yeah. have it all. Like, really. <laughs> Like, really? And I know we're supposed to be moving on from that now in 2021. But I think we saw in the pandemic, like, this is a storyline that's pretty evergreen and timeless still, unfortunately. I think that as feminists, a lot of it is about being sort of the smartest girl in class and being Lisa Simpson. And, you know, you have your hand up and you're going to do all of the smart girl things. And one of the smart girl things is you don't fall for fairy tales. You don't think that a handsome rich man is going to find you and marry you and you're going to live happily ever after. And one of the things about both of these women and their stories that gets to me is, you know, as feminists, we do have fairy tales. They're just different. And one of the common ones is you're the smart girl or woman. You are charming and outgoing. And you meet this man who has a few things going for him, but he's kind of shy or he's kind of awkward or he's kind of different. But, you know, the magic of your love <laughs> turns him into a better guy. And it's, you know, for me, just like Mackenzie Scott, I'm like an English major. Of course, Toni Morrison didn't <laughs> wasn't my professor. But, you know, if you look at Jane Eyre, that's the story. If you look at Beauty and the Beast, that's the story. Smart woman finds, you know, reclusive guy, opens his heart, makes him better. And the woman who I blame most for this is Jane Austen. 
And yes, it's Jane Austen. It's like Pride and Prejudice. How many brooding, moody, cute guys have smart women spent years of our lives and yes this is personal years of our lives Mm -hmm. trying to love them into their inner darcy and make them better people but it doesn't work out any better than those other fairy tales and it's like sometimes that guy who is charming sometimes but kind of a jerk he's just a jerk and (laughs) you know I think that Mackenzie Scott learned this. I think Melinda French Gates learned this. I know it's an argument, but I think Hillary Clinton kind of learned this too. And I'm just hoping that as feminists, we send this lesson down to the next wave of feminists. (laughs) Amen. Before we head out, you know, now that we've solved all of the problems of billionaire women and philanthropy, Emily, I think that it's a good time for us to give our own recommendations about other things that can bring us forward as feminists and things that we feel are helping in our regular day-to-day lives. So what is something that you're loving right now that you would recommend to the listeners? Well, the way you just framed it makes me have a lot of second thoughts about what I am (laughs) currently obsessed with, but I'll just plow ahead. I have been listening to a podcast that's actually a couple of years old, but new to me, okay, called Heaven's Gate. It is amazing. It's produced by Pineapple Media. The cult is, you know, horrendous. I guess I shouldn't spoil it, but Nikes, purple shirts, leaving your earthly body, aliens. These are some things that are involved. I'm obsessed with it. Maybe I could do a whole episode to unpack like why I'm so interested in cults. That's like a whole other (laughs) issue, I guess. Um, And I don't know if it's helping the feminist project at all, but but this cult in particular, Heaven's Gate, was in fact started by a woman, which I think is unusual. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing, Alicia. Probably not at all a good thing in any way but you know that's my excuse for mentioning it on this podcast yeah yeah it's fascinating i really recommend this podcast so the thing that i would recommend right now has to do with sort of tuning out a little bit more i like a lot of us picked up a lot of bad habits you know eating cookie dough and (laughs) watching a lot of streaming services, a lot of television shows. And so what I'm recommending is something that I'm trying to do, which is sort of slowly dropping the streaming services that have kept me watching television (laughs) and old shows for too many hours for the last year. And, you know, I binged on a lot of Law & Order, which, especially if you're a feminist, does not age well at all. It's just really terrible. Oh, no. Dun, dun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> SVU, oh, my God. It's just like, it. it's not how you remember it. RuPaul's Drag Race ages well, but I would say skip the new season of Drag Race Down Under because it just sucked. And that's another podcast. But for me, my big addiction that I am trying to wean myself off of is The Crown because I've now watched every episode, like, 10,000 times. And I have all sorts of theories about, 
Philip's parenting style and how it's affected Charles and Prince Harry mm. and Prince William. And, you know, most people, this is just not an important thing that they want to hear me talk about. So I am looking forward to getting rid of my queue of old shows to catch up on and making uh, more brain space for my real life. <laughs> but Alicia, The Crown is, in fact, about another billionaire woman, right? It is. And there are so many <laughs> sort of feminist lessons from the British royal family. Uh, that Yeah, that is another podcast episode. <laughs> Maybe we can do that next week. But that's our show for this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Susan Matthews is our editorial director with June Thomas providing oversight and moral support. And we have additional production help from Rosemary Belson. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and bonus content on shows like this one. It's only $1 for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com slash the waves plus. We'd also love to hear from you. Email us at the waves at slate.com. The waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. Thank you.